The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. These are your headlines. Wall Street's top banks see over $50 billion in market cap wiped out after Silicon Valley Bank posts a $2 billion loss offloading assets to cover deposit outflows. Now, that sparked fears about the value of other lenders' bond portfolios. The sell-off in financials drags U.S. majors firmly lower, with the Dow on pace for its worst week in almost six months, while Asian equities track Wall Street deep into the red. U.S. President Joe Biden unveils his $6.8 trillion budget but faces stiff Republican opposition, while the Inflation Reduction Act again in focus as the president prepares to host Ursula von der Leyen in Washington. China's Xi Jinping formally begins a historic third term as president, with former Shanghai Party Chief Li Chang expected to be named as Premier this weekend. The Bank of Japan keeps interest rates and its yield control policy unchanged as Governor Haruhiko Kuroda bids farewell and sets the stage for his successor, Kazuo Ueda, to lift Japan from its ultra-loose monetary environment. The markets are a huge week is what we've witnessed. Investors rethinking the pathway for interest rates. Now 50 basis points potentially on the table as we've wrapped up two days of testimony from Jay Powell. The market now data watching. The view from Jay Powell was that if we've got some hot data, then we're pressing ahead with the 50 basis points. But perhaps there are still signs that we've got some weakness cropping up in the jobs numbers in the inflation print. So the market on red alert for the jobs numbers later on today. You can see yesterday in trade. It was uh, the market roiled by the banks, concerns that were cropping up in one quarter of the banking community specifically. Over the course of the trade, we saw the Nasdaq down 2% falling on the S&P to the tune of 1.8 and 1.6 down on the Dow. So very much a reversal over the course of the trading week. You can see the extent of the selling to the tune roughly of three odd percent for the major indices. So there is territory that has been lost across the board if we switch over those uh, numbers. And you can see the week to day performance, particularly concentrated around the Dow. And I think that was quite telling even earlier in the week. We saw a switch investors pulling back from some other hot areas of the market, namely banking stocks. Technology in some ways was more supported as we started out the week and faced those fears again of higher interest rates, but a bit of a catch up trade as you can see as uh, the Nasdaq also banked losses yesterday. But a huge focus in the banking sector this time around SVB financial group. This is a huge lender to VCs, to startups, to Silicon Valley. And effectively, uh, Wall Street's biggest banks then saw their market value slump by $52 billion in that Thursday trade amid a crisis of confidence as investors dumped holdings of Silicon Valley Bank's parent company, SVB. And shares in the bank ended the day more than 60% lower after announced a fundraising plan and sold the majority 
of its available for sale securities amid a run on client deposits. So you can see across the board, even the major banks also falling from Wales down 6%, City off 4 JP Morgan shedding 5.4% and Bank of America losing 6.2%. So the route continuing after the market had closed as VC firms lined up to tell clients to get their money out with Founders Fund's Peter Thiel among them, according to Bloomberg. The uh, SVB trade after hours, you can see the stock down 20 so again, more pressure. Now the KBE index, this has been fascinating to see the course of the trade over the week to the tune of 11% in the red. That is a sharp reversal from what has been a hot area of the market. Investors piling back into a lot of the banks on the hope that NIMS net interest margins would be expanding because of higher interest rates. And even with the message from Jay Powell that uh, interest rates could be even higher from here, it's uh, another trigger now. Investors are concerned about the provisioning required, a effect in some of the tight areas of uh, credit markets and what this could mean for the banks who've also been holding a significant amount of treasuries and you can see the repricing that's taken place on treasury markets we've shot up at the short end 4.78 is where we're sitting the uh, tenure 3.81 and uh, this is again signaling that inversion the yield curve that is a signaling function for potential recession a dominant fear now as investors worry that the Fed might be lifting rates too far to try and tamp down on inflation. To the Asian markets, the early signals are in the red, as you can imagine. These markets will be shut later on when the non-farm payrolls number crosses. A lot of traders coming back to their desk late in the evening. The caution very much evident across the region. Australia, big commodity market down 2.3%. Shanghai shedding 8 tenths. Uh, Hong Kong deep in the red too, 476 on points down or 2.4% and selling across to Tokyo. The opening calls uh, the resilience that we've seen in European markets, let's just take stock. Uh, as we've had that three odd percent, three plus percent fall stateside, some areas of this market have been contained, namely the German stock market actually trading higher still week to date, up about a third of percent. Flat performance yesterday, but still holding on to a tiny fraction of green in contrast to the red you've seen elsewhere. French stocks only modestly lower for the week. So what we're looking at this morning as we uh, assess the opening calls, deep uh, moves to the downside, catch-up trade anticipated, triple-digit point downbeat session for a lot of these major markets from Italy to uh, Germany to the UK. So it does look like a rough start. The US futures, this is the early indication how much of the selling will continue. Don't forget, again, the non-farm payrolls are going to be key. A big risk event today. We are perched a lower as you'd anticipate. So it's cautious, isn't it, Jeff? So this knits together so much of what we've been talking about over the last six months or so. And, um, you know, there's an element of I told you so about this. But if you take interest rates from near zero and you crank them up, at some point you're going to break something. And this is what Jay Powell has basically been trying to tell the market. Be prepared. Things are going to happen. And, of course, we, we had that um, claims number which looked like uh, the beginning of perhaps some weakening in the jobs market. So there was that issue for the market to deal with. But alongside that, there was obviously this question of what's going on at SVB Bank. And we have to tread a little carefully around this because I don't think anybody at this stage is saying this is a systemic event that is going to cause global jitters in the banking system yet. But if you take interest rates from zero up to six, seven, eight percent, whatever is being charged in the real world, let's, let's not just talk about the policy rate, then something that looks like a really clever investment 
at near interest free money is going to look like a slightly dumber investment at much higher yields if ultimately the cash flow projections are pushed out 10, 15, 20 years. We're not interested in profits, we're going for market share. So there's that, that aspect of this when you look at the technology sector. But coming back to, to what we're actually seeing here, I think we've been saying on this program for a long time, be very wary about businesses that are not publicly listed. You have no idea what they're actually worth. The portfolio managers bought them for one price. They believe they're still worth that. That's what the value looks like on the books. And yet we all understand that in reality, they're not worth that. And what SVB has just done, it, it's, it's, it's crystallized for the market what those potential losses could look like in those technology businesses buried in a lot of portfolios. And the fact that they've just had to write down 1.8 billion effectively, and that is capital destroyed, I think will have everybody now going, oh, we better have a look at what we've got in the portfolio. Is it actually worth what we paid for it? And if it isn't, you've got two choices. You can either sell it now and take the pain and move on, or you can wait and you can hope that it comes good through this cycle. But we know in previous cycles, like the global financial crisis, sometimes you just couldn't wait long enough for it to come good before you ended up having problems. SVB for me is the canary in the coal mine. Uh, again, back to your point, uh, there are a lot of um, concerns about what take pl takes place as a credit event from here. And, you know, the, the bank itself might be fine. And, you know, Redboard Securities is saying that it doesn't think that there's a liquidity crisis here, just to be clear. But as a canary in the coal mine, the signaling function for me is that there has been a lot of lending that's taken place, very cheap credit conditions, and that's changed. We've been asking the questions for many, many months now. But I think typical go-to space when you see rates like this has been the retail customer at the mm. bank. You've been mm. asking just what type of uh, condition that customer is in. And the view is that they're fine because they've had pent-up savings. Most are still employed, even with uh, a round of layoffs, that you've still got uh, some rude health effectively demonstrated in retail customers. And where you don't, the banks are trying to extend some help and uh, you know ensure that customer is okay in this cycle. What a lot of people have missed is the amount of money, the hot money that's gone into technology and the concentration in some particular financial institutions. And that's what we're seeing now. What it means for the broader sector, and I think there are implications. You saw how quickly investors responded. $80 billion in stock market value evaporating from the 18 banks that make up the S&P 500 banks, telling you just how investors are seeing it. Don't forget, we've come out of that cycle where uh, we had all this extra provisioning for COVID. It was written back onto the books of banks. And then we've had uh, strong NIMS as well. The trading environment's been decent. So there have been a lot of positives around the banks. Now, if you look at this story and you think, well, there's a dominoes effect that maybe the provisioning needs to be rammed up from this point. If we're talking about Jay Powell and co over at the Fed lifting rates more aggressively from here, then what are we talking about? Not so much a NIM story, but having to provision for a potential recession sure. and also the losses on bonds that they've been holding sure. on to. Sure. I mean, the question is, we, I think, have made it clear that we think the problems are likely to be in the non-traditional banks and the non-bank financial sector, which has splurged on these low interest rates since the global financial crisis. The listed banks have been under a great deal of scrutiny not to repeat the mistakes of 2008. So the interesting question is, have they actually participated or are they somewhat immune from this? And if they are immune from this, then perhaps this will be isolated to the 
the, the, the non-bank financial sector and the niche banks that work, for th work in areas like private equity, VC and high-tech lending. Yeah, and just uh, you know, a sidestep to that, the banks are okay as long as people are employed. And I think the jobs data is so key today as a result. Uh, investor attention turns to today's non-farm payrolls report, which is expected to show just over 200,000 new hires in the month of February. But January's figure came in more than double expectations, fueling speculation over what a hot figure this month could mean for the Fed's hiking path. Let's get to uh, Elias Sebo, the uh, CEO of Compass. Elias, good to see you this morning. Thanks for joining us once again here. Now, you're in a very interesting space as a, a company that operates in the mid-market effectively in the US and in some other European locations. What is your sense of what's happening now in the labour market? Are we beginning to see the first cracks? Yeah, good morning and thanks for having me on again. You know, the uh, labor market is incredibly strong in the U.S. right now, and we see it in a lot of the data that keeps coming out. You see Jolt yesterday or the day before that came out at 10.8 million. You know, that's likely 50 percent higher than, you know, kind of where we are on a historical average. So the demand for labor remains extremely high across our 10 portfolio companies that we have. You know, the majority of them are still doing really well. They're experiencing growth that's consistent with where they were last year, and they're hiring. And we're finding it very difficult to hire new labor. Uh, the rise in cost continues at very high levels. And to me, it feels like with the labor imbalance as much as it is, inflation is here to stay, especially given how much it feeds into services, um, which drives most of the U.S. economy. Maybe you could share with us um, what you're having to pay your workers now compared to 12, 18, 24 months ago. Because the other aspect of this report, which will be critical, of course, to the Fed, is what wage inflation looks like right now. Yeah, so we're seeing, you know, and it varies across our companies. It varies across different job uh, classifications, different geographies, obviously. But I would tell you on a blended rate, we're seeing about double in terms of the average annual increases that we're giving out from where we were 12, 24, 36 months ago. You know, if historically we had been sort of in that two and a half to three and a half percent range as average annual pay increases, now we're in the five, six, in some cases, seven percent average annual increase for this year. So we're seeing it continue. I would say where we're really seeing, you know, big increases is for job hoppers. So when we're trying to attract new um, positions, typically that's well above. And so, you know, the inflation rate, I would say, you know, kind of is probably north of even what we're experiencing, given that to bring in new talent, it is at, you know, elevated rates. Strategy here is for the Fed to keep on pushing up rates to try and tackle inflation that is stretched across to the services economy. Do you think it's going to work? Is there any evidence that the higher rate cycle uh, makes a difference when it comes to some of the heat and the, and the wages, the employment market? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, if I just give the backdrop a little bit, we have seven consumer businesses, three industrial businesses. Our consumer businesses, we're, we're seeing end demand for our products remain really strong. And our companies that have direct-to-consumer exposure are having growth rates, like I said, consistent where they were throughout most of last year. So there's no slowdown. So we've seen high inflation. 
that was expected to slow down the consumer spending. We've seen interest rate increases that's expected to slow down consumer spending, but none of that's happening. And right now where demand for labor is as strong as it is, where there's still savings from the pandemic, uh, government transfers that happen. So balance sheets are relatively strong. There's a lot of labor mobility. You know, in my experience, when uh, workers have jobs, they spend and we're seeing that. So I think without question, the Fed will win this battle against inflation. But the question is, how high do they have to go with rates and for how long? And from what we're seeing on the ground right now with demand at our consumer and industrial businesses, it feels to me like we're going to have to go higher and longer before we break the back of this wage inflation that we have. When it comes to the encouraging signs, can I just get to that on the disinflation you've witnessed in some of the products, the transportation costs that are coming down, supply chains that are fixing themselves. Just where are we when it comes to that journey to getting back to some sort of normal level on pricing around products? Yeah, goods inflation is really, and I think when Chairman Powell talked about the process of disinflation has started, I think it was really pointing towards good inflation, and we're seeing that. Remember, a lot of the goods that we're bringing into the we're bringing into the U.S. from you know whether it's Southeast Asia or other manufacturing locations, the strength of the U.S. dollar right now is really helping to push down inflation on imported goods, which makes up the majority of what's sold in the U.S. So, you know, we're seeing a combination of a strengthening dollar, weakening commodity prices, um, transportation costs that are coming down. And because the supply chain is working much more efficiently now, we're able to create more efficiency within the factories, the subassembly that we do here in the U.S., final assembly and then distribution. So it works more smoothly. That brings a lot of costs down. So I think the goods inflation story feels better for right now. Now, wages can start to creep up again, even on the good side and push inflation up. But for now, we're seeing those other inputs come down fast enough so that goods inflation feels like it's moderate and pretty tame right now. Elias, just just very briefly, you would have heard us talking at the beginning of the program about this um, ripple through the banking sector overnight and the, the market falling on fears about the revaluation of some of these high tech businesses. That's not your space, but you are an aggressive acquirer. What are you seeing or what are you hearing about liquidity, the availability of funding at the moment for deals. Any problems? Yeah. So, you know, we are, as you said, not in the technology space. Technology, because the long duration of those assets and cash flows is really getting hit hard. You know, we're more in consumer and industrial businesses. We just started a healthcare vertical uh, late last year. And those businesses have nearer term cash flows. And so the raising of the discount rate although it is impactful, is not as impactful as it is in, you know, the longer duration assets. What we are continuing to see is there is a tremendous amount of private equity overhang. And for good companies, there's still equity capital that is chasing those companies. There's also a decent amount of debt capital available. And I heard you guys talking earlier about regulated banks versus the non-regulated banks. The non-regulated banks still have a lot of capital they raised a lot of capital and they are investing and they find now is a better time because rates are so much higher that they are able to put you know new assets on their books for. So there is capital. It's much more expensive than where it was. 
you know, a year or two years ago. And, you know, our expectation is that's going to feed through pricing and have pricing be lower going forward. Elias, thanks so much for the insights. Really good to catch up with you. Elias Sebu, the CEO of Compass. Uh, Moving on, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, will welcome UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to France today. It's the first bilateral summit between the two countries in over five years. We'll have more from our team live on the ground in Paris. And as fears of contagion ring out across markets following the rout in financials, you can keep up with all the market action by subscribing to the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. U.S. President Joe Biden outlined his blueprint for the federal budget on Thursday, setting out plans to cut the deficit by nearly $3 trillion over the next decade by lifting taxes on those earning more than $400,000 a year and reversing some of the corporate tax breaks that his predecessor enacted in 2017. Well, speaking in Pennsylvania, Biden hit out at the Republican opposition whose control over the U.S. House of Representatives means the bulk of the proposals will likely end up dead in the water. I guarantee you I will protect Social Security and Medicare without any change. Guaranteed. I won't allow them to be gutted or eliminated, as MAGA Republicans threaten to do. MAGA Republicans' proposal is not an answer. On Social Security, my budget will not cut benefits, and it will definitely won't sunset programs like some of my MAGA Republican friends want to do. They'll secure Medicare through 2050 and beyond, ensuring that the vital program keeps going strong for generations without cutting a single penny in benefits. President Biden will meet European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in Washington today. The two leaders are expected to discuss plans to secure the supply of critical raw materials, support for Ukraine and security concerns around China, as well as addressing European worries about the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act. The impact of that IRA is also a key focus for Europe's corporate leaders, with pressure mounting on the EU to deliver similar support for green technology as European companies explain their decisions to shift investments to the states. Take a listen to what European CEOs have told CNBC about the act. For me, it's less about a competition in terms of the two systems. It's more on how we can cooperate between the two regions to build out the energy industry, which is needed. It does really also support green technologies. We have a strong footprint in the United States too. This is our largest market and also most of our revenue is coming from there. On one hand, we have a gift from the government and on the other hand, we have a penalty to the companies. European companies, they prefer to have the presence of the US government rather than the penalty of the European authorities. That is very simply put, the difference between the IRA 
and the European uh, action so far? The IRA is an extremely powerful, simple, um, pro-business um, investment tool. And I think that's attracting a lot of investment into the US. Europe, I think, needs to step up its game. I think uh, over the last year, it's introduced, all we've been talking about has been windfall profits, clawbacks, uh, how you can cap prices, and that's not conducive to having investment opportunities. We think it's the right thing to do, and we you know, very much uh, appreciate that the US government has sent a strong signal uh, in the direction of sustainability. Sylvia joins us with more on von der Leyen's visit. Uh, Sylvia, what jumped out at me was this week when Volkswagen was saying that it was pausing building more battery plants in Europe because of the IRA may shift them to the United States. I mean, we think about one of the big measures from President Macron in France. He wants a, a battery ecosystem here in Europe, and it feels as though uh, without any response from Europe, some of these major plans that have been in the works here are just going to stall. I mean, it's clear that the concerns that the Europeans had from the get-go are actually materializing. And the, the, that set of several CEOs speaking about the IRA just proves it. So over the last couple of months, we have heard from different companies indeed suggesting that they are prioritizing their expansion plans stateside rather than investing in the European Union uh, for now. And of course, that puts pressure on for European officials. And it's within this context that we're going to see the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen visiting and speaking with the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Now, one European official told me that what we're expecting from this meeting in terms of the, the IRA is an agreement on critical raw materials. So in practically, practically speaking, this means that European companies might benefit from these stateside benefits if indeed they provide these critical raw materials that are needed for manufacturing processes in the United States. But we're unlikely to see huge concessions for the time being. Now, given, I just want to show you how important the critical raw materials agreement might be, because early in the week, the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, visited Canada. She spoke with the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, and she also spoke about an agreement with Canada over this issue. Let's take a look. Critical raw materials. They are the lifeblood of the clean economy. We need them to reach our ambitious decarbonization objectives. This is why, of course, the European Union's focus is very strong on the resilience of our supply chains. But we see today that, for example, China produces 98% of Europe's supplies of rare earth. And Europe needs to de-risk this dependency. And this, of course, is immediately the reason why Europe seeks to work together with trusted partners. So Ursula von der Leyen there, the president of the European Commission, is speaking about the importance of an agreement in terms of critical raw materials. But when you look at these discussions with the United States, we're unlikely to see any huge concessions for the time being, because as one analyst explained to CNBC earlier this week, the whole purpose of the IRA is to support American businesses and industry. And therefore, any sort of huge concessions to the Europeans would just defeat the purpose of this legislation. So guys, the pressure is still on the European officials and let's see how they will try to respond to this IRA. But for the time being, they're just being too slow to attract businesses to Europe. Sylvia, thank you very much for setting that all up for us. And more on Ursula von der Leyen's visit. Uh, if you want to read about that, you can check out the piece that Sylvia has written on CNBC.com. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.
or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.